Well, I got to greet quite a few people who are here today for the first time, so welcome. It's good to have you here. We're a church that believes that the Bible is God's Word. We're working our way through it, kind of one passage at a time. Today we're in John chapter 8, so if you wanted to turn there, uh, we also have uh, some pretty exciting things happening here in church. The city just voted 5-0 in our favor to allow us to move forward with campus expansion. Uh, We also were blessed with a gift uh, a couple of years ago of a second campus in San Juan, and which is large enough to hold all of us if we need to on a squeeze. We believe God is leading us to say, let's get this campus ready for the next uh, uh, foreseeable future and uh, get it ready for the next 50 or 100 years if the Lord tarries that long to keep being a strong place for God's word to be presented so that the people in this world who are living in darkness can hear the light of Christ. And so we're going to be in John chapter 8 and uh, just invite you to join in today into what God has to say for us. Do you know in the late 1800s, Doctors and scientists, when asked where does disease come from, believed in a concept called spontaneous generation. Spontaneous generation. I suppose a nice way to say it would be, it just happened. I mean, somebody said, how did they come down with that disease? Well, it just happened. That spontaneous generation. That a disease could just pop up on your skin or pop up in your body. And doctors didn't assume, well, that was related to anything. And, uh, you know, in many cases, disease would sweep through families, communities, parts of cities, kill hundreds, if not thousands of people. And uh, when they'd wonder, why would people get sick? Why would disease appear? The doctor would explain spontaneous generation. It was assumed that a non-living organism could suddenly just produce some sort of living organism that would turn into a disease. And then Louis Pasteur came along and said, no, that's not the case at all. There are actually invisible organisms that you cannot see that carry these diseases. And they're carried through the wind. And they can be passed from one person's skin to another. And they can live in food. And these diseases are not just cropping up randomly from non-living organisms. There are invisible organisms that uh, there's an invisible world that's impacting the visible world. And this invisible world of germs and invisible microorganisms are everywhere and you can't see them. And this unseen world is impacting the seen world and has potential to destroy lives and families and communities and create all kinds of pestilence and goes all over the world and kills hundreds and thousands of people and you can't see it coming. They're germs. And he put forward what was known as the germ theory of disease. The idea that invisible microorganisms could impact the visible world. And the people who believed what Louis Pasteur said began to wash their hands. They began to separate sick people from well people. They began to quarantine sick people. After the first service, somebody said, do you know where the word quarantine came from? Well, I guess I was clueless or it must have looked like a deer in the headlights. And they said, well, when the ships would come to Europe, they were concerned that they would bring disease. So they would leave everybody on the ship and not let anybody off for do you know how long? As long as Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days just to see if no disease came out. And, and the word in, I think it's Italian, is uh, the word from which we get quarantine. So people would be quarantined to say, with sick people to say, keep the sickness with the sick people. But many people in the medical and uh, the scientific community at that, uh, while Louis Pasteur was alive, thought, he's crazy. He's telling us there's something that we can't see that impacts what we can see. 
You're telling us it's something that can just invisibly float through the air and then land in the food and infect the food. You're telling us that there's an invisible world that surrounds all of us, uh, an invisible world that surrounds all of us, and it has invisible living organisms that impact our visible world. To which Louis Pasteur answered, absolutely. That's it. Well, nowadays, it's not just a theory anymore. We all believe in germs. Every thinking person believes in germs. That's why we have uh, so many uh, chemicals and products in our homes to fight against germs. That's why we have cleansers and those kinds of things. We take steps to prevent germs because we believe that something you can't see impacts the world that we can see and we live in. And we believe even though you can't see it, they're dangerous. And we believe they could be life-threatening. And we know that the invisible world of germs doesn't stay invisible. They can become very visible and they're very dangerous and they can be life-threatening. Now we all know that. Nobody disputes it. Well, the Bible says there's another invisible world that's all around us. There's another invisible world that doesn't simply impact us physically. It it impacts us relationally. It impacts our thinking. It impacts our worldview. It impacts our attitudes, our morality, and our purity, and our finances, our relationships, our marriages, how we date, how we do business, how we interact. It impacts us spiritually. It impacts us and everything around us. And it can be life-threatening. It can be emotionally life-threatening. It can be relationally life-threatening. It's an invisible world. And it's all around us. It impacts everything we do. And yet as we talk about it, some people still tend to resist. you got to be kidding, they would say, like the people who thought germs were silly 150 years ago. You're saying there's an invisible world and it impacts your visible world every single day? And you don't need a microscope to discover it? You know what you need? You need a rearview mirror. You just look back in your life and say, how could I have been so dumb? How did I make that decision? How did I think that relationship was actually going to go somewhere? And you look back and say, that was such a bad thing. It was such a bad idea. How could I have been so deceived? How could things have been so twisted in my mind? How could I have been so confused? How in the world did I think that that approach to finances was going to get me where I needed to go? Why didn't I see that what some people thought of as recreational or a pastime was a pathway that led to a habit that is going to destroy me that I'm going to have to deal with the rest of my life? Why couldn't I see that in the moment? I mean, looking back, it's so clear. How did things get so twisted? And here I am paying for the price physically and emotionally, spiritually, relationally for decisions I made in a moment when I was in some kind of a fog. Well, maybe you don't need a rearview mirror. Maybe you just look in the mirror because you're in the middle of it right now. And you make a decision in a moment of sanity and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, here's the kind of person I'm going to be. Here's how I'm going to live. And then you get with a group of people who are uh, doing things or maybe just even an individual or put into a certain environment. And it's like you lose your mind. It's like you abandon everything you believe in. And in those moments, you're so confused and your thinking is twisted and you talk yourself into doing things that you have no business doing. And then you come out and regain your sanity and your focus and your perspective. And you look in the mirror and you say, what have I done? What was I thinking? What's wrong with me? Okay, maybe it's not you. Maybe you don't even need a mirror. You just look at the people around you. People you love. People you want the best for. And you watch them make decisions. And you think, why can't you see this the way I see it? It's so clear to me and everybody that knows that they're making a horrible decision. 
But for them it makes perfect sense and they argue their case and their logic is so fouled up and their thinking is so twisted and the rest of us stand on the periphery of their lives and think you're going to regret it. You're going to wish you'd never done this. It's going to impact you for the rest of your life. What are you thinking? But in their world, in their little capsule in which they're making their decision that makes perfect sense, there's a twist. You see, there's a deception going on. The Bible has an answer for us because there is a twist, there's a confusion, there's a distortion of the truth. And the one behind it will never tip his hand so that it becomes too obvious because if he was, well, then we would all run. But the interesting thing is that not everybody falls for it. There are people, maybe you're one of them, who certainly has made it through life, navigating through this minefield, navigating the culture, managing to get around the deception. They just don't make the bad decisions. They live life differently. And in our moment of sanity, we look at them and we think, I want to be like them. I want to have a life like she does. I want to have a marriage like they do. I, I want to have the kind of self-esteem that he's enjoying. I want to be secure like they are. I want to be that emotionally healthy. I want to have those kind of habits. Some people just seem to be able to get around the disastrous stuff. But let's face it, they're the exceptions. They're not the rule because we live in a culture that's been twisted. And the truths that are so evident sometimes in a room like this where you're opening God's word and you're bringing it out in the light, once we step back out there into what we would think of as, quote, the real world, well, those truths aren't quite so self-evident anymore. Things get twisted and we don't lose all of them. We just lose enough of them to where when we lose our way, we lose our place, we lose our perspective. And then along comes Jesus. And if we just read his word, Jesus gives real specific insight into this unseen world. And it's right here in John chapter 8. And so if you brought your Bible, turn to John chapter 8. And I've got to warn you that some of this explanation of the unseen world is unsettling. It's the easiest way to say it. This is an interesting chapter. One of the most famous verses from the Bible is in this chapter. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And by itself, that's a true statement. And we all know it and everybody loves it. And politicians love that verse. And people don't have a clue where it came from or the situation where Jesus said it. He's in a hotly debated argument with the religious leaders of his day. And he's, he's on the temple area, what's called the Temple Mount. And he's teaching people who love him and care about him. They're gathered around him. And I envision around the outside of this uh, crowd that's gathered are these people, religious leaders, who are standing there like this, who are not listening to how can I get the truth and change my life to live on the truth. They're saying, how can I find something to criticize about what Jesus is saying? Because he's become very popular and I'm envious of his popularity and he's a threat to our way of doing business. And so they're standing there ready to catch him in his words. So if you read the passage, you read this conversation or argument that he, Jesus is having with religious people who do not want to know the truth. They like how they are, even though they're bound in sin. And... If we read it, we're going to get Jesus' take on this unseen world, and it's very unsettling. And you hear it, you go, oh, I like this stuff about Jesus, and I like this Christian stuff, but I really don't want to... I, I mean, this part, I, you, you say that Jesus really said that, and yes, he did. And you can't really just pick through the book of John and say, well, I like these parts, and I don't like those parts. 
or through the Bible and they'll say, well, I like this part. I like the part about love and about being nice to people. And uh, those other parts are much harder to embrace. So here in John 8, Jesus having this conversation and the religious leaders are hearing it and they just basically yell over the, the tops of the crowd to get into a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus by this point is far enough in his ministry and he's done so many miracles and he's taught so many profound things that the people who are sitting there are nodding their heads saying, do you know, this guy might be the Messiah. He clearly speaks as if he's coming from God and he must be from God. He's got power that other people that only comes from God. And the people standing on the periphery are going, no, I don't think so. They should have been the easiest ones to convince. They're the ones that spent their lives studying God's word. They're the ones who spent their lives in God's house. But they don't like Jesus. So Jesus is having this conversation with them. And uh, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, at after all you've seen, after all you've heard, do you still not recognize that I come from God? Because if you're going to live life at the center, then what you're going to have to say is God created this world and God came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ and God is in charge in this world and he wants to be in charge in my life and your life and he has a plan for us as individuals, as families, as a church and you have to come to God and say, God, I put you in charge in my life because God has given us each free choice. God, what do you want to do with my time? What do you want me to do with my talents? What do you want me to do with my hoarded treasures? What's important to you? So let me read the story right from John. I'm going to break into the middle of it in verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, those are the ones sitting down, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want to know the truth? Read God's word. Ask God's spirit to guide you by his word, and he will. And they answered him, the ones with their hands, arms folded, We are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. The ones that are slaves to sin will not remain in God's house, in God's presence forever. The sons and daughters of God will remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. That's not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God and Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. I have not come of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it, be it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar, the father of lies. Wow. 
It's a pretty sharp conversation they're having. I mean, their response is, oh, we don't need you. We don't think you come from God. Abraham is our father. We're related to Abraham. Why would we need anything from you? If God had wanted to speak to us, he'd have spoken through Abraham. He would have spoken through Moses and the prophets. We don't need to listen to you, Jesus. We don't like you. We don't even think you're from God. And Jesus said, well, if you really were the sons of Abraham, if you really were devout followers of God, followers of Moses and Abraham, you would recognize because Moses knows who I am, Abraham knows who I am, and God knows who I am. And the problem is you guys don't know who I am because you don't know God. And they really get into it. And Jesus sort of takes off his gloves in these verses. He lets them know why they're not able to recognize them because the The truth is there. It's so obvious. It's plain that Jesus comes from God. But in the face of all the evidence, they still didn't recognize that Jesus was from God. And he's going to say, I'm going to tell you why you didn't recognize it. Why don't you understand what I say? Why are you unable to hear? Because your father is the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He said, I'm telling you why. Because your dad is the deceiver. And he's deceived you. And in the face of overwhelming evidence, you think your thinking is twisted to where you take what I say and what I do, you ascribe it to some other source than God. The problem is that you have been influenced by, you've been deceived by, you're under the power of your father, the devil. Now, this was so offensive because they just finished saying, we follow our father Abraham. And Jesus saying, Abraham isn't your father. The devil is your father. Now, Try slipping that into a conversation with somebody you're disagreeing with and see, see how it goes from there, okay? But Jesus had the authority to speak this way because he's God. And so he tell, explains to them about the devil, that the devil's desire is confusion. He claims the devil is a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand for the truth. The beginning he's talking about the Garden of Eden where he came to Adam and Eve and he fooled them. By lying to them. And he killed the relationship they had with God. God had to start it over through his son Jesus. He says the devil does not stand for the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar, the father of lies. And at this point you go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. Jesus is using a figure of speech, right? About this stuff about the devil, right? There's not really a real devil, Jesus didn't believe that, okay? I mean, Jesus just used a figure of speech, right? Well, he goes on to say he's this murderer from the beginning. And do you know what, how you tell somebody's a murderer? They murder. They kill people. And these people that he's talking to, he's saying, your father is the devil. He's a murderer. And you're just like your father. Do you know what they did to Jesus shortly after this? They figured out how to get Jesus killed. Murdered, put to death. Your father is a murderer from the beginning. He's not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. Jesus says his native language is lying. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. You see, you might not, but you need to come to terms with the fact that Jesus believed there was a real personality, not just a figure of speech, a he, an entity, an individual, the devil. Jesus believed that. And here's what Jesus believed about him, that his ultimate purpose, his agenda, was murder. 
The Bible talks about how he was an angel of light and it was in heaven. At some point, he came to the point of saying, I will be as God. God kicked him out of heaven. He was put here on this, in this world. He's actually called the prince of the power of the air. And the devil has power, but it seems to have been curtailed. Read the book of Job. And he did, uh, God allowed him to do all kinds of things to Job that he doesn't do to you and to me. But the devil has been limited by God, limited to deception. He's limited to distortion. He's limited to twisting the truth. And he has the ability and the freedom and the power to deceive people. It results in destroying relationships and even destroys human life and all that is valuable to the human race. Marriage, relationships, friendships, community. The devil's against all of that and his agenda is simply to destroy all of that. And he does it with one tool, deception. It's through so confusing the human mind that we actually think right is wrong and wrong is right. And people do things that make absolutely no sense when brought into the light of God's word. But it makes perfect sense to them. And in the end, they are destroyed. And the devil's pleased. So Jesus, who's been forever because he's God, and the devil who was created, have known each other for a long time. They had crossed swords before. In fact, when Jesus came into this world, the devil tempted him, tested him before Jesus began his ministry. It's recorded in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in Luke chapter 4, it says the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And then basically said, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Now, wait a minute. The only way you could offer something like that is if it was yours, if it really belonged to you. <laughs> exactly. I know. The devil's saying he had the authority over all the kingdoms of the earth and to give them to whoever he wants. And, and th- I think this is kind of disturbing. And I can't fill in all the gaps here today, but it's what the scripture teaches. And uh, he says, I will give it to whomever. I can give it to whoever I want. And I would give it to you if you just worship me. You and I live on a planet that has been given under the, placed under the authority of the devil and his agenda is the end of human life. And this means uh, the way he accomplishes it is through deception. It's kind of a little bit dis- disconcerting, isn't it? I mean, maybe it's helpful. Maybe it explains some things. Maybe it helps you factor in when you're struggling with temptation of why you know the truth, but you do something different. You know what's right, but you do the wrong. Or if you watched other people do the same, you know, maybe you need to factor this in when you have problems at home or a struggle with a prodigal son or a daughter or a difficult person at work. Or, the, you know, the weird thing is you have moments of clarity and then moments of insanity and then moments of clarity again. I know what's right, but I don't live up to it why is that what's wrong with me maybe there's an invisible world that's impacting your visible world maybe there's something you can't see that impacts everything that you can see because it's shortly after this confrontation with these men who claim to be sons of abraham and jesus accused them of being sons of the devil that you know what they did to jesus they lied about him and they nailed him to the cross Thirty years later, the Apostle Paul has been begin writing to Christians in different churches, and he understands what Jesus taught, and he takes all this, and he writes the letter to the Christians in Ephesus, and he's talking to them about how to live their lives, and that God has a purpose for them, and that he's prepared good works in advance for them to do, and he's talking about how to get along with each other, parents, how to get along with children, husbands, how to get along with wives, and wives with husbands, how to get along with your employer, and how to get along in business, and the book is relational, and what to do and what not to do, and at the end of the book, here's what he 
he says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you know what Paul believed about the devil? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament. He believed there was a real devil who has schemes, who has a plan, has a strategy, and it's a simple one. Take what's true and twist it. Take what's evident and distort it. Don't make yourself too evident. Don't make it too obvious. Find some common ground and then lead them astray. Let's take appetites. Appetites are a good thing. Let's take appetites and twist them into addictions. Let's take desire. Desire is a good thing. Let's take a desire and twist it to become greed. Let's take something that's appealing and twist it to become jealousy. Let's take something that is beautiful and twist it into lust. Let's so twist people's view of God that they get angry with God. They make decisions based on their own anger and then they blame God for the consequences of their decisions. There's a scheme. There's a plan. Maybe you begin to factor this in when you look at the world around you and realize that these invisible things are still happening and they show up in the visible world. Maybe this is an aha moment for you. Paul goes on to say, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We get wrestle against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. It's not just your husband. It's not just your wife that's the problem. It's not just your daughter that's the problem or your son. It's not just you that's the problem or your boss. Paul says, wait, factor this in. It's not just what you see. There is an invisible world that's impacting the visible world. There's an unseen that impacts the scene. And you'd go, Paul, wait, 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 wait a minute. Paul, you said such cool stuff in some of your other writings. And I mean, that part you wrote about the love chapter, that was brilliant. We even had it read at our wedding. Love is patient and love is kind. And Paul, you believe in a real devil? Paul, you said some great stuff. I love that part about children obey your parents. I've used it with my own. And, and, and that was great. And that stuff in there about work and, and about husbands and wives. And I love that part where you say you are justified by faith. Paul, you seem like such a smart guy. You believe in a, a real devil? I've never seen him. You believe there's a devil who has a plan and a scheme and a strategy. And Paul would say, yeah. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. And the way he accomplishes it by, is by distorting the truth. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said there's a devil. He's a murderer, and he accomplishes destruction through deception. And there's an invisible world that impacts our visible world every day. That's why we need to lean hard into the teachings of Jesus. We need to know his word. We need to pray, God, by your spirit, lead me. God, please help me to see as you would see. I don't want a twisted, distorted view. Please help me to put on the lens of scripture so that I'm thinking God's thoughts and I'm looking at this world the way you would, not through the lens of culture, not through the lens of deception, not through the lens of my emotions. I want to see the world like you see it. I'll make a true confession. I know most of you aren't Catholic, but you can hear my confession. I, I went to have my eyes tested, you know, Costco special where they have the eye doctor. And, and so I said, please check my contact lenses. And, and so the, the doctor did. She was very good. And she got them all fixed up. And then I said, now, I said, I play tennis on a regular basis. And I want lenses that not just I can read with. I want a different set so that when they serve that ball and it's coming at me fast, I can pick it up quicker and know what's going to happen. 
can you just get me a set of lenses so that I can see like that? And she said, yeah, just a minute. And then pretty soon I had a set of two, I left there paying for two sets of, of contacts, one to read and to preach, and the other to be able to see that ball that's coming faster because I'm only playing for fun. It's just more fun when you win. And so, <laughs> so she was able to change my focus. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you and I come to God's word, this becomes, if this is our lens, it changes our focus. It changes what we can see and how we can see because we live in a world where there's a deceiver who's going to try to fool you into thinking something that isn't true and basing your actions and your beliefs on something that isn't true and coming to a conclusion that would be disastrous because you started by looking at something the wrong way or you didn't see it coming soon enough. Now, when you read God's Word, it's clear that God is in charge. He's in control. He's God. And He's created this world and He's given us free choice. And we screwed it up enough that we need a Savior. So He sent a Savior Himself into this world. By the name, went by the name of Jesus. And He lived here. Then He died for human sin so we could be made right with God. And now He empowers us through His Spirit that He left here to fulfill His work in this world. God has a plan for this world. He's got a plan for His people, the church. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. And if if we're going to have him in charge of our lives and we say, God, what is your plan? I'm going to follow it. Not, well, what do I want? You start by saying, God, what do you want? And like they would say at the Ritz, my pleasure. My pleasure is to do what you would want, oh God. So pray that God through his word and through his grace would help us to see more of his truth. To be right in step with him because in this world, things have been twisted and they're not always what they seem to be. And the only hope for us and for this world is Jesus. Shall we pray? Jesus, so many of the people rejected you when you were here. But those who didn't were given the right we're given the privilege to be sons and daughters of God, to live in the house forever because they're part of the family. Now I pray for each person here as we look in our own heart that we will get away from our own thinking and that we will use the lens of Scripture and of your Spirit guiding us to accurately get in view what's happening, that we will recognize there is a deceiver. There are things we can't see that impact our, our, our daily walk and that we will be aware that we will use the cleansing power of your Word to cleanse our hearts and to focus us on you so that we will be your people and do your work and know your joy. And we thank you. Amen.